This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, these wonderful gospel readings from the A cycle of Lent bring us into the depths. And they move to a kind of crescendo. So two weeks ago, in the story of the encounter with the woman at the well, we learned that sin is a kind of thirst, and Jesus is the living water. Last week, in the encounter with the man born blind, we learned that sin is like darkness, and Jesus is the light. This week now, in a kind of climax... We learn that sin is a kind of death, and Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Think of these great encounters that people have with Jesus now moving to a climax just before his own passion, death, and resurrection. They reach a sort of crescendo now in the story of Lazarus. This entire reading, and again, it's a typical Johannine uh, masterpiece, The entire reading is haunted by death. But death that does not have the final word. Might I even say that in this death-haunted story, death is treated with a sort of flippancy. Look how it begins. Jesus hears that his good friend Lazarus is sick. Well, you'd think, okay, if I want to save Lazarus, I will hurry to Judea. I will see him before he dies so I can cure him. Instead, Jesus purposely delays going to Judea, essentially giving Lazarus time to die. We wonder at this, but the Lord could not be more explicit. Listen to what he says. I am glad for you, he says to his disciples, that I was not there that you may believe this sleep of Lazarus, he says, will be for the manifestation of God's glory. Now, I'd like everyone to stay with this strange moment a bit. Because this mysterious statement, this mysterious move of Jesus, not going to Judea right away to see Lazarus, ought to condition Everything a Christian feels about death. What am I talking about? Death to us seems like the ultimate reality. The darkness of death. The finality of death. It's the one thing that conditions everything. But see, Jesus is not treating death that way. He's assuming it does not have the final say. In fact, it exists for the sake of something higher, namely for the manifestation of the glory of God. I fully realize, everybody, how unfashionable this is, how strange this is, but so be it. 
See, much of the psychology, spirituality, politics, economics of the fallen world is predicated upon death and the fear of death. Think for a moment about how much of life is death-haunted. The way we treat each other. The way we organize our lives financially. The manner in which we think about geopolitical realities. Keep pressing on all those things. You'll find that the finality, the fear of death, suffuses, conditions the way we think about them. But what if we really believed, I mean believed in our bones, that death does not have the final say? What if we really believe, I mean deep down, that Jesus has lordship over death? Listen now. In that case, our reliance upon the props and values of this world would be radically diminished. More to it, many of our assumptions about the way the world works would be challenged. Many of the things we take for granted in the economic and political and, and relational order would fall away. One way to put this, if we believe deep down that death does not have the final say, then the nature of our fear would be transformed. A very wise person said long ago that the key to understanding anybody is to ask the question, what is he or she afraid of? It's very wise. A lot of um, pragmatic people have used that principle, by the way, to, make, to uh, be quite successful. What's that person afraid of? Then you can manipulate them. Then you can use them. If death does not have the final say, our fears are transformed. Here's what I mean. Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and do nothing else. <laughs> now, I submit to you, that's like a, like a Zen koan. That's a, that's a very weird and puzzling thing to say. Don't be afraid of those that can kill the body. Isn't that the worst possible fear there is? Well, actually, no. Actually, no, because death is not the ultimate reality. The question to keep in mind, if death is not the ultimate reality, what should authentically scare you? Now look at the Bible on the fear of the Lord. But that's sermon for another day. A very good example of this transformation of fear is the willingness of Jesus and his disciples to return to Judea where they were in mortal danger. So we know that from the earlier parts of John's Gospel, that they were actively threatening Jesus in Judea. He was in danger and his disciples with him. But despite the threats, Jesus and his band of followers return. And Thomas speaks for all of them when he says, listen to this, let us go and die with him. See, very interesting is that he's willing to go and die. What does that mean? That means something else has opened up. That means a deeper ground has opened up. Something that's more fundamental than this life and what threatens it. What's usually of prime importance has just been relativized. 
that's the effect of hanging around with Jesus has. Now, we hear that when Jesus arrives, Lazarus has already been four days in his tomb. This is a kind of code for what? That Lazarus was well and truly dead. We're not dealing with someone who's, you know, might be revived in the ordinary way, someone that just, you know, looks like they're they're dead. No, no, you've been four days in a sealed tomb. That means you're dead. Lazarus had turned into a corpse, and a stone had been rolled across the entrance of the grave. This is evocative of the irreversible finality of death. Jesus is dealing here not simply with someone who's sick, but with real death, as we'll hear just in a second, real death which stinks. Now, Martha, one of Lazarus' sisters, realizes this obvious truth, that Jesus could have cured Lazarus had the Lord been present. But here's what's wonderful about it. She's begun to suspect that something else, something stranger, is at work. Listen now to her language. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's beginning to understand, what? That Jesus has lordship over death itself. And therefore, she's commencing to participate in some of his own insouciance in regard to death. See, and there's the thing in this whole story. Death haunted, yes, from beginning to end. But death, which has now been outmaneuvered, has been checkmated. And the people around Jesus are beginning to get this. That's why Thomas will say, let's go and die with him. That's why Martha can say, I, I, I know, I know. Whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus confirms this. Listen, your brother will rise. And Martha initially interprets this in light of the conventional expectation that all the righteous dead would rise in the last day. That was a common view of Jews of Jesus' time. Some Jews didn't believe in life after death. But others around Jesus' time had begun to believe that at the end of the age, the end of time, all the righteous dead would rise. That's what Martha seems to be saying here. But Jesus wants her to have an even greater expectation. For he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This in many ways is the greatest of the I am statements. I mentioned that to you last week. These great ego a me statements sprinkled throughout John's gospel, which are evocative of Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. But throughout the gospel, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the light of the world. But now, but now, as people are finding liberation from the greatest tyrant of all, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He then asked the bystanders, 
where have you laid him? St. Augustine has a wonderful commentary here. It's meant to evoke the alienation from God involved in sin and death. Remember the time of the fall when Adam hides from God and Yahweh has to come through the garden to look for him. And so here it's Yahweh in the flesh, Jesus, who is looking for, he's, he's lost contact with Lazarus. Death is indeed alien to God and God's purposes, but yet God is the master of it. Then we hear, and it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Stay with that image for a second. That means God has entered so thoroughly into our pain, into our loss, into our fear, that he weeps for us. We don't have a God who stands aloof from the human condition. Not at all. The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so here you might say is the, the limit case of the incarnation, Jesus weeping for us. There's much more on offer here than mere sympathy, as powerful as that is. For Jesus orders the stone to be rolled away. The stone and the stench sum up the awful, gross finality of death. But Jesus is not intimidated. Like a great warrior, he stands before the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out precisely because Jesus' word does not simply describe, but Jesus' word affects, it makes real, because it's the divine word. The same voice that said, let there be light, now says effectively, let death have no more power. See, friends, that's the Christ whose voice we are all meant to hear. That's the Christ who relativizes death and opens for, up the, for us the deepest reality, which is the love that is more powerful than death. And may God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.